Get Up Nation. I hope you're enjoying the Get Up Nation podcast on www.anchor.fm. As a podcast host on over 20 platforms, I really enjoy how easy it is to use Anchor, how Anchor makes everything I need available in one place for free, accessible on your smartphone or desktop computer. Go to www.anchor.fm now. In case you didn't know, Anchor has creation tools that allow you to record and edit each episode. If you're concerned about the distribution of your hard work, don't sweat it because Anchor takes care of that too. If you're considering becoming a podcaster, I would highly recommend Anchor as your choice to begin sharing your content with the world. Get Up Nation. My name is Ben Biddick. I am the creator and host of the Get Up Nation podcast, where I serve individuals, organizations, and societies to develop and sustain resilience and perseverance. I'm the co-author of Get Up, The Art of Perseverance, with former Major League Baseball player and CEO of Rurong Living, Adam Greenberg. The Get Up Nation podcast is brought to you in partnership with GotYour6Coffee.com, where Navy veteran Eric Hadley is committed to serving first responders, veterans, and their families through a variety of nonprofit organizations. No stranger to adversity, Eric has fused necessity of coffee with his passion for public service. You're already purchasing coffee. Why not empower your coffee with purpose? Why not purchase coffee that not only has your six, but also has the backs of those who don a uniform of service for our communities and great country? Learn more about Eric and his freshly roasted award-winning coffee at gotyoursixcoffee.com. Welcome to this episode of the Get Up Nation podcast. Recently had the honor and privilege of speaking with Major Scott A. Husing. He's a best-selling author and public speaker with over 25 years of experience writing, teaching, and connecting with audiences in both the military and private sector. He's been featured on Fox and Friends, One America News Network, NBC7, and over 300 local and nationally syndicated radio shows and podcasts. He has been a guest speaker at the Reagan Ranch Center, the Nixon Library, the Citadel, and the Marines Memorial Club. His recent book called Echo and Ramadi is the winner of the 2019 Gold Medal Award, Best Military History Memoir, Military Writers Society of America ranked in their top 10 military books of 2018 by Military Times. Scott retired from the United States Marine Corps as a major with 24 years of service, both enlisted and as a commissioned officer. His career spanned 10 deployments in over 60 countries worldwide during his numerous deployments to Iraq, Afghanistan, and the Horn of Africa. He planned, led, and conducted hundreds of combat missions under some of the most austere and challenging conditions. It is my great honor to welcome Scott to Get Up Nation, where he shares his insights into resilience. Scott, welcome to the show. Hey, Ben. Great to be on Get Up Nation with you, brother. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. My honor to have you here. Glad you took time out. I just want to ask first, how has 2020 been for you so far? What challenges are you tackling? Busy so far. I've been doing a little bit of traveling. I was in the cauldron of chaos in Las Vegas a couple of weeks ago at SHOT Show 2020, man. I tell you, I've been in combat a bunch of times, but being at SHOT Show in Las Vegas is, is sensory overload. It is nuts. But I go there as a guest of one of my sponsors, a, a great veteran-founded company, Wiley X Eyewear. And when you go, it's this huge reunion of not just veterans that I know, but other artists and, and celebrities show up there. And oh, by the way, they're also selling a bunch of guns, ammo, and outdoor gear. And it's just, 
it's pretty crazy. And then just got back from a trip in Salt Lake City, Utah with another great friend of mine, Vinny Vargas, who runs Vinny Rock Podcast and just laid it down up there and did some skiing, hung out with my 2-4 brother, John Hancock, and his documentary film, Bastards Road, which won another award at the Slam Dance Film Festival. And then I'm just gearing up for more this year and really planning it out. So I am setting those goals for myself since I work for myself. I'm my own boss to make sure I stay on track and stay energized and, and keep surrounding myself with cool people like I have in the last month and just stay energized and inspired to continue to stay connected to not only those in my tribe, but so many other cool people that I, I'm constantly surrounded by. Just that's what gets me up right there. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And where in the United States are you living? So I retired from Camp Pendleton, California, after, like you said, after 24 years of service and then worked up in Hollywood for a little bit and then finally bought a ranch in Southern California and made it my base camp and locked myself in my studio for a year in 2017 and was for, very fortunate to have written a bestseller out of that process, which came from, again, the inspiration of the, the fighting and everything we did. And I used to tell people that the story Echo and Armadi was written so that chapter in military history wasn't forgotten. But the real story now is not the fighting and the friction and all of that we went through because that's kind of just a backdrop now to the story. It's the people that I write about and that shared interviews with me that really sit at the front of the stage for this story, uh, which has just continued to be read and, and shared with thousands and thousands of people. It's been one, very humbling and two, very exciting for me to continue to share that story and know that I'm capable of, of doing that. And as I do that, I'm, my other goals are, are to continue to write. I, I still write for a lot of op-eds for USA Today and Town Hall and in other places, but I'm working on two other books too, which keeps me pretty busy and helping other veteran artists get into the entertainment space too is, is another, another thing that I like to do and just share my connections so they don't have to really battle through that process and stress out about it. That's great. I want to dig in here to some of these concepts. I want to read some excerpts out of your book and, and really share this with the audience. First off, can we start with what led to your decision to join the military and specifically the Marine Corps? Well, this is not a true confession. I've aired this publicly, but I barely graduated high school, born in Waukegan, Illinois, and managed to squeak out with a smoking hot 1.24 GPA. And college was not really an option for me at the time. And throughout my young, you know, young childhood and, and teenage years, I'd, I'd led a really high risk lifestyle. I was fighting and drinking underage and riding a motorcycle. And then a friend of mine introduced me to the Marine recruiters. And these guys just their uniforms and the office and the camouflage and the way they talked. I, I thought, man, these guys are the biggest group of risk takers I've ever met. It was a natural fit. So I signed up at age 18 and then shortly thereafter went to Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and then kind of found the, not error of my ways, but value, I think, in education. And I hung up my rifle. I was in the reserves. So I still connected to the Marine Corps while I went to college at Illinois State and wound up graduating in three years with a very respectable GPA. And I, I say that because that is a testament to the discipline you learn as a young Marine or, or military service member branch wide. And I say that with 
all due respect because that education, both in war and in training and the relationships you develop, really made me feel like, you know, they had paid my tuition, both literally and figuratively. And I felt that I wanted to give back. And that's when I, I got my commission as an officer and went back on active duty. Yeah, that's great. That was my next question is, how was that for you as you had served and enlisted and then decided to go the officer route? What was that process like? Was it an excitement that you had some experiences and then you wanted to lead? You had new knowledge that you wanted to share? What was the process like for you making that decision? I wish it was that lofty, but actually post Desert Shield, Desert Storm, there was a force reduction and they said, oh, you can pick this job, this job, or this job. None of them looked appealing to me. I said, no, I don't want to do those. So that's when I went to college. And the transition was a little bit scary because, for one, I was just happy to get accepted into college and a major university at that. And I don't say that to brag because it, and I, I loved Illinois State, but they do only let in a select 50 or 60,000 every year. But nonetheless, I was happy to be accepted. And, and I did well in college. And then transitioning back into the Marine Corps as an officer was just the natural fit for me because I always wanted to lead. I was always a leader, even as an enlisted Marine. And then becoming an officer gave me just different opportunities to have increased responsibility and to be surrounded by so many brave young men and women who raise their hand and serve their country, both at war and at peace. So the transition wasn't tough for me. I knew that I had to let some things go. And a lot of people will ask me the question, Ben, did being enlisted make me a better officer? And my answer is always the same. I, it's no. But I think it absolutely gave me great perspective on how valuable the young Marines time is and what are the important things to do in training and, and how to cultivate relationships and, and really serve those that I was leading. Absolutely. A lot of the guests that I talk to and veterans that I talk to, we, we talk about how military service really puts under a microscope the reality that the most valuable things in life are people. That when you're dealing with a combat environment or you're dealing with facing warfare and volunteering to go, you're doing that because of connections you have with people. And in some of your talks, you talk about the power of connection and cohesion, but especially as a leader and you're looking at these young people who are offering voluntarily their entire life to go and accomplish a mission that our country needs. Will you talk a little bit about the value of people and what that has meant to you over the years? Sure. The real core message of, of the book itself is that power of human connection, which I always say. And being in the military, especially being in the Marine Corps, it is absolutely a people business. And I, I take full stock in that from a lot of different angles on how I view relationships, knowing full well that I'm not the smartest guy. So I surround myself with smart people. I try and surround myself with positive people in the military. And since my military career transitioned in the private sector and also cutting out those who are negative in my life, like a cancer, because I don't have time for that. And I think that had I learned that earlier on in my life and in my career, I probably wouldn't have suffered as much or suffered fools, I think, to a large degree, who really were detracting me from setting goals for myself, enabling my success. But I, I did learn that. And, and I was very fortunate to have a lot of great mentors along the way to really shape how I thought and, and understand the value 
of the people in the organization are really what make us great, not only as a country, but as a military, that is is one thing that I've gained over the years. And I, I continue to do that because you can say that I, I did this and I served my country and I'm not some professional veteran. I don't look, I don't always say, well, I deserve this because I served my country for 24 years. I don't. I look at things based off those relationships with people about what I'm doing now and what I'm going to be doing in the future. And, and I view that as well from everything I do artistically as a writer. Yeah, I wrote a bestseller. Great. What's next? That's the, that's the thing I'm constantly trying to challenge myself with. And I do that through all of these amazing connections. And you're one of them now. And just being a guest on this podcast and being able to share a little bit of my story and what you're doing and as a fellow podcaster on the Break It Down show, this medium of podcasting is just immense. And you want to talk about connecting to people. I'm sure you get this over 100 episodes now of Get Up Nation. That's huge. The number of responses you get back, I'm sure, on, on DMs and emails about how your guests and your show touch them. I think you could just carry the rest of the show with another 40 minutes of how that impacted you. But I've got thousands of stories that are the same. And it's all about people, man. And it's not these electronic friends we we see on social media, they're people. And ultimately, you'll make a connection to them. And that's that's a wonderful thing. And as I travel around so much doing public speaking or going to events, ultimately, someone will pop up out of the woodwork and say, oh, man, I follow you on LinkedIn or, or remember that, that post you made. And that's me. And I comment and, and they're people and you make that connection. It's really cool. Yeah, it's amazing. The ways that we can have contact with people today, it's like unending. There's so many different ways to communicate and so many opportunities to really do something good and impactful. And certainly your book is doing that. And I'm happy you're having so much success with this. And one thing that you had said here recently that resonated with me, the true spirit of Marines are helping people who can't help themselves. And Will you share the pride, the honor, and the valor of what that means to members of the Marine Corps to be that example, to be that that higher level of person that's operating with such honor and integrity? Will you just talk about what it means to be a Marine? The Marine Corps is an amazing organization, and obviously I'm a little bit biased. Uh, anybody that raises their hand and serves in the military, I, I say Thank you for your service because they make up less than one half of 1% of the entire American population. But within that military culture, you have this unique elite group of warfighters called Marines. And to be a part of that for such a big part of my life has, is really amazing. And although the Marine Corps was a big part of my life, it, it doesn't necessarily define me as a person. And I think that I realized that early on, too, is... You can see all the recruiting posters and the cool commercials of you know guys jumping out of airplanes and the tanks and and all that sexy stuff that people normally associate with the the sexy uniforms, but it's really understanding the people again, getting back to that and and looking at each individual soldier or marine and understanding the capabilities that they have, the diverse backgrounds they come from, and that within those ranks, being able to know that they're not just the most lethal killers on the battlefield and they shoot the rifle straighter than anyone else in combat and attack and kill our enemies with this unbridled ferocity. But the fact that they're artists and poets 
and writers and musicians and all these great skills. And to be able to tap into that, I think is really unique. And that's what makes the Marine Corps is the people. And what's interesting too is, is we are kind of embroiled in this political and cultural experiment that's going on now through the, the mainstream media and through social media. What's interesting to note then is that the Marine Corps itself is one of the smallest populations and we're the smallest branch of service within that one half of 1% of the entire American population of over 330 million people. But we also make up the most diverse group of individuals, both racially, culturally, demographically, religiously, the list goes on and on. And we have a common mission that we all subscribe to and we all buy into that and our ethos of honor, courage and commitment and our motto of Semper Fidelis, which is Latin for always faithful. And that, as I've transitioned now and I've been retired since 2013, that's not just some bumper sticker you see on a car. We believe that stuff, man. And it it is really something that bonds us together. Whether you did four years or 24 years, everybody listening to this podcast and anything, anywhere, should be justifiably proud of, of serving their country. It's a remarkable thing. That's the thing. I think that oftentimes in the gap between civilians and those who have served in the armed forces, I think that's one crucial thing that I think people need to understand is that selflessness and that engaging reality that that when someone takes on service like this, that it truly is something that makes us better, more connected, more skilled, and really speaks to some of the finest characteristics that people can possess. And I just love talking. It's endlessly interesting talking with those who have served in that capacity, who are willing to do that and who serve with honor to keep our country safe. I want to talk a little bit too, as you made that transition into the leadership, you described the burden of command in your book. And will you share what this is, its significance and the toll it takes on leaders who serve in combat? Well, when I transition to being an officer, that's just one of the duties and responsibilities you take on. It's a privilege to be able to lead at every level from 30 to 230 Marines in, in combat is something that I never took lightly. And that responsibility is something that we enjoy as, as leaders. And it's important as you look back in, in time that your role is singular because the young men and women that serve our country, they have each other and they've got plenty of friends that come and go, but they only have one commander. And that's what I always, that's something that's really difficult for any commander to balance is understanding how close you get to those you lead and understanding that there can't be this familiar relationship at any level because they've only got one commander. They've only got one person that's going to make, ultimately make those life and death changing decisions in a dynamic environment. And in Ramadi in 2006, for people that don't understand the severity of that fight, that was at the height of the war. And that's when General Abizaid and President George W. Bush ordered the surge strategy of 20,000 additional troops into Iraq to really hammer down on all the pockets of resistance in the country as it just boiling over. And the city of Ramadi itself, a city of over 300,000 people, was spilling into the burners with insurgency. And that's where they chose to fight. And to be a commander in that environment of an infantry unit is like the Super Bowl of fighting. It is 
every, every, every infantryman's dream to have that type of challenge put in front of them. And it's the toughest conditions that you could imagine. I mean, we were fighting two, three, four or five times a day, every single day in direct contact with a well-trained insurgent force. And under those conditions, day in and day out, my Marines performed phenomenally. And I could never be prouder of the fact of how they took care of each other and, and took care of me in the end. It's amazing. One part of your book talks about how one of your Marines sacrificed his life during his duty and you had asked for someone to go take up his post. And there was a young Marine who just said, I'll do it. No hesitation, no fear, no, nothing else other than I'll go and I'll do it. Just hearing that and even recounting that, I get shivers and I down my spine, I just get goosebumps of the amount of bravery and love and respect for each other serving in that way. And I, it's a reverence for people doing some of the most phenomenal things human beings can do just in awe of the type of people that uh, you are and that you've served with. Yeah. Lance Corporal Andrew Matus, that was, he, he was killed in action on the 21st of January. And that same, that same event as we we're taking fire on that rooftop Marine goes down. It was actually Emilio Sanchez was killed first. And then his squad leader goes down and says he needs a volunteer. And then Matus pops up and he says, I got it. Woke him out of a dead sleep, goes up there. They're still taking care of Lance Corporal Sanchez and taking him off the roof. And he, he just assumes the post without even batting an eye. That's the type of devotion that is so emblematic of what Marines do and soldiers under those conditions of war of intense combat where they unhesitatingly stand on a wall or get in the attack and shortly thereafter he he was killed and that, that was a tough thing for those guys at the squad and platoon level and as a commander of over 250 marines you have to stay in the fight and you have to direct the actions of all those other marines that are still fighting still trying to survive under those conditions and I think when you talk about the essence of your show too, the, about you know Get Up Nation and, and how you can boil that down from the, the macro to the micro level is it's about survival and it's about overcoming adversity and those challenges. And what we experienced at that time doesn't get any more difficult when you talk about resiliency and the ability to push through severe trauma and unsurmounting odds as we were fighting and, and the bond and the people and the connection that they have is really what gets them through the fight and, and long after. And that's something that's really important too, because it's been over 12 years since that fight and we still remain so inextricably connected in so many ways to continue to share that, that brotherhood and that bond to really sustain us. I, I think probably the rest of our lives. And I'm very fortunate to maintain those relationships and connections and that the young guys can now see me more as a person, more of a, a human being than just their commander. And they, they realize now after the, the book was written, all of the things that I was dealing with at my level. And a lot of the guys now have that kind of aha moment, like, Oh, I had no idea that the CEO was dealing with this and explain a lot to them where in that time, you don't have the time or the requirement to explain everything to the nth degree to someone who is, is fighting day in and day out and has to be responsible for 
the guy to his left and right. That's just what we do. I think of people listening to this conversation who may not be able to serve in this capacity due to disabilities or or situations in their life where this is not an option, but they may hunger to live a life of honor and sacrifice and service. In your from your perspective, how can people who are not able to serve like this, whether it's you know a physical ailment or something of that nature, how can people live a life of significance? even without necessarily enlisting in a military branch? I was really hoping you'd ask that question because I say it often that the Marines or the military, we don't own words like service and sacrifice. We don't have a monopoly on those words. And there's plenty of people that want to serve and can't for the reasons you listed, or maybe the timing wasn't right, or they just didn't have the opportunity for whatever reason. But there are so many ways that you can serve both in federal or local areas, whether you want to get involved with veteran organizations. And I think as I transition to part of the success of what we do comes through giving. And that goes back to writing the book and how I donate a portion of the proceeds to my nonprofit, savethebrave.org, which helps veterans who are struggling with post-traumatic stress through outreach programs. And there are people that approach me and they say, how can I help? I said, well, giving of your time is probably one of the most important things. I mean, obviously we like it when people write big checks to support it because things cost money, but Save the Brave has such a growing network of supporters that volunteer their time and resources, whether you're a lawyer or a CPA or you run a podcast or, and we've got dozens of examples of that, of people that say, man, I really want to do that. How can I help? I said, well, how about you support our nonprofit and just hang the logo on your, your podcast or your website and you become a proud partner because you want to do something. And a lot of people too are challenged with how to help and who to help because in the veteran service organization space, there are, there are some shady characters out there that don't have a good track record for being good stewards of people's time and money. And that's one of the things that makes me so proud about SaveTheBrave.org is we give 100% back. And none of us on the staff take a single dime. None of us take a salary. We do it all for free. And we've helped hundreds of veterans, Gold Star families, active duty, military personnel. And we do that because of people that make those comments and, and we just bring them into the family and, and let them understand that their time and, and commitment to this is really another way to serve. So you don't have to put on a uniform. You don't have to carry a rifle to do that. There's so many ways. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And I wanted to ask, so when you think back over your life, you've been through so many amazing situations here. What is something, one of the most difficult moments that have happened in your life and how did you respond to it with kind of a, an understanding or a focus on resiliency here? How did you overcome a challenge that you faced? Well, one of the biggest challenges I think I faced would have to be giving more of myself as an artist. I think that that was tough. And it wasn't until I'd probably written about, I don't know, 130,000 words. And the manuscript for Echo and Ramadi was at the point where I started seeking out professional advice and, and hiring an editor. And they came back to me and said, there's not enough you in this. And that was, that was tough. So I really had to, ask myself the hard questions as a writer, as, as an artist, to give more of myself after doing 
over a hundred interviews with my Marines and the families and, and pulling all of the pain and some of the happiness too, from their stories. There's some exciting and funny stories in the, in the book as well, but I really had to give of myself. And to do that means you got to pick open the scab and bleed a little bit. And, and to do that in the pages of a book and, and have it hanging at every Barnes and Noble across the country and on Amazon is, is something that's, pretty intimidating. It's pretty frightening. But I think that when you do that and you expose yourself, I think being vulnerable and authentic in how you write and how you share stories is that was tough for me. I I don't make any secret about it, but continuing to do that, I think has put me in a better position to speak on a lot of issues to so many diverse groups across the country as well. Absolutely. When you think of these experiences that you've had and the men and women who have served along with you, what is your perspective on how we can be resilient throughout the challenges of facing combat, coming home from it, you know, transition into success in the civilian world? What are some of the key components that people can access in their life and in their network to help them be resilient and thrive long term? Staying connected to your own tribe is vastly important, but also understanding that you really need to continually push yourself out of your comfort zone and connect with other groups that you would wake up and say, oh, there's no way I would want to be associated with that group. Or, or I, I don't know anything about that. Why would I, why would I go speak there? Why would I get involved with that group? And I think that all of those different circles in every different space in the private and military sectors or the nonprofit space, imagine all those, those circles laid out on a table and, and slowly as you reach out, they, they come together and they start to overlap and they stack on top one of another. And it ultimately builds this huge column of support in your own network that you can leverage professionally and personally to really maintain your success and also stay connected to, to people that are really there to help you that whether it's through social media or going to conferences or events, I think that being willing to dip into that pool that you normally wouldn't do, I think is, has really been meaningful to me. And it's been rewarding, I think is a better word to use that has really helped shape where I want to go now, what I want to continue to do and really being focused on that on a daily basis to Extend my reach just a little bit more every single day, I think, is something pretty powerful. That is one of the main lessons that I would share with your listeners and anybody, for that matter, to continue to gain success in life. Absolutely. I love that. It's real easy for us to get caught up in saying, I am this or I am that. And then we kind of get siloed off and sectioned off into little categories, whether that's via, you know, all these different groups or, or categories that we often put each other in, but it's so profound when, and when we find common ground with those who we're allegedly not supposed to have common ground with, I find some of the most meaningful interactions come when we challenge stereotypes, when we challenge ourselves and our thoughts of, you know, judgments of other people, when we suspend that and actually make that reach forward to find common ground with people that are different from us, like you're talking about, it leads to some profound connections. It leads to a lot of laughter. It leads to a lot of connection and it leads to an altering of our perspective that opens our world up to us and we get less isolated and we have more of that, uh, more of that fun experience of life and those, those positive connections. Okay. I always end the show with six questions to help my listeners understand the why within my phenomenal guests. Will you run through these questions with me? 
Let's do it. All right. Who are you thankful for today? Pick one person. That's a tough question. If these are good questions, I love this. I like to spin these around on you, Ben. That's what happens when you get two podcasters and writers and <laughs> right. I, I I think I'm I'm thankful for all of those willing to give. I, I don't think I could name one person because there's so many in my network, but those that are willing to give and that care, I think are the most important people and those that are out there just doing things, not just talking about things. I mean, we could sit on the show for an hour and talk about things, but get out there and do things and care because I can always teach people a lot of things in life, how to, how to shoot a rifle, run faster or lead better, but I can never teach people to care. And I think that's probably the most important thing. So that's, those are the people I'm most thankful for is those who care and and continually surrounded by them. That's awesome. Now that we've covered who you're thankful for today, what are you thankful for today? The list is endless. I'm, I'm thankful for so many, so many things, most of which is the sustained family of my personal family and my military family, those who support our, our veterans and our first responders. I'm so thankful that we live in this country that despite what we see on TV and all the political rhetoric and upheaval is having that type of support that we enjoy as, as veterans now, as we're still fighting this war, I think to me, it's something to really be thankful for. And, and every day I get up and every night I go to bed, I'm, I'm thankful that I live in a country where I can continue to do what I do and share these amazing stories of our nation's heroes. I love that. How do you fuel the fire within you? Well, planning. I think is the key to, to to being your own boss as an entrepreneur, as an artist, as a writer, you have to be disciplined. You have to set a plan out because if it's just an idea, you could have post-it notes or stickies all over your house of great ideas. But if you don't do the planning and don't set a schedule and hold yourself accountable for those timelines that you set, I think you'll struggle. And one of the things that keeps me energized is again, being surrounded by so many great people that continually inspire me to share their stories and get out there and meet different people. That's what fuels me every day is the the network that I'm surrounded by. But personally, I have to hold myself accountable and set definitive timelines and goals for myself, short term, you know, mid range and long range goals. That has to be part of my daily battle rhythm. And that's something that was a good thing that I carried with me post military was that type of regimented planning and getting up being physically active, making sure that I, I don't stick my head in the bucket on social media for hours on hours on end and actually doing the work. That's that's the fuel. Love that. What's one thing adversity taught you to value? The one thing adversity has taught me is you can survive despite all the challenges. And I'm not speaking necessarily about combat or being shot at or blown up or any of that stuff is those are the most severe you could imagine, but I think challenges in relationships and the adversities you suffer, I think, have have built me. And that comes obviously through time and age and you gain that wisdom. But being able to push through that and, and continue to move on and, and viewing yourself as a survivor, not a victim, is something that I think a lot of people define themselves on as I was a victim of this. No, you're, if you're living... And you got both both feet on the grass every morning, man. You're a survivor and you're a winner. And I think that 
that message gets lost a lot along the way, especially in some of the circles I run in where we talk about the death and we talk about the killing and, and some of the grim facets of war. That's not what we do. That's not what I do. I think that talking about the positive things and all these success stories of our nation's heroes and, and all the great things they're doing is really the truest definition for me of overcoming adversity is the success that I see and sharing those stories of success. Nice. What are you doing today? You may have never thought you could. <laughs> Literally, I just finished writing a full-length feature documentary. And again, just like writing a book, I, I again, look back to the, the beginning of the show, 1.24 GPA, man. If, if anyone would have said, hey, one day you're going to be a best-selling author and you're going to be working as a full-length feature documentarian and sharing stories, there's no way I would have said they were true. I just didn't think it was possible. But by being a lifelong learner and continuing to read and just being nosy, being curious about all, all these other things that I, I'm currently working on now as a, as a writer, I didn't ever think I'd be here. But it's the message is, is clear. It's possible. If it's something you want to do, you just have to do it. That's great. What will you do tomorrow? That you may have never thought you could. Well, I don't know if I'll write the rest of my life. I'm still relatively young. And I think that, you know, you have to love what you do. I obviously loved being in the Marines. I did it for 24 years. But I always told myself, if I don't love this one day, I need to pass the torch. Uh, I don't know if I'll love writing op-eds or speaking publicly and, and doing that the rest of my life. So I think just... Tomorrow when I wake up, if there's a new opportunity that presents itself and it's 180 degrees out from what I'm doing and I feel that passion and that love for it, I think I'll probably attack it with the same same type of enthusiasm I have with everything else in my life. Love it. Scott, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you coming on the show here. How can people learn more about you and your amazing work? People can find me on Instagram at Echo in Ramadi. And if they... Go online to Amazon, just type in Echo and Ramadi or Scott Husing. Get a copy of the book. It's on Amazon, hardcover. We just went into our fourth printing and paperback last November. It's on Audible. It's been number one on Audible like 10 times. This thing is crazy. But remember, buy a copy of the book and you're also going to be helping savethebrave.org. It's an amazing veteran nonprofit. And please follow me on Instagram. You see a lot of the the fun stuff I get to do and all the cool people and, and build that network at Echo and Ramadi. 